Welcome back for another episode of Errant Adventures. As always, I'm your Game Master and Solo Player, Steve Morrison. As Ben and the others make their way to Davinar, the factions of Hartvale continue to maneuver for power. Find out what happens on episode 46, Hunters and Spies. The soldiers of the Crest and occult infiltrators from the Shade have boarded the Andanya, a drift ship, and have begun their journey to Davinar. A week has passed on their journey, and they have just passed Velt, a small port that is in between Hartvale and Davinar, and that serves as a place to gain supplies. But it is time to do another faction turn because a week has passed for our heroes and I've been roughly doing these faction turns about once per in-world week. Since this is so close together with the last faction turn that I did, I'm not going to spend too much time going over the factions and everything. We'll just cover them as we go. So let's jump right in and I'm going to roll my D8 to get initiatives for all of our factions. So let's start with the crest. They will act on a two. The Vidala will also act on a two. The Shade get an eight. The Drift get a six. The King's Word get a four. And Lord DeSoto gets an eight as well. So the Shade and the Council of Twelve slash Lord DeSoto get to act first. Let's go ahead and jump in with the Shade. So their faction goal is to root out the enemy. They have sent their occult infiltrators aboard the Andanya towards Davinar to help the Crest hunt down and destroy the Vidala family. So I think we can turn away from them going after the Vidala, and I think we can have them focus on rooting out the last cultists of Vargosh within the Kingsward. So they currently have, in the North Scales, they have their vigilant agents watching the Kingsward headquarters. And their vigilant agents uh, have this ability. Whenever another faction moves a stealth asset into a location within one move's distance from the vigilant agents, they make a cunning versus cunning attack against the owning faction. On a success, the intruding asset loses its stealth after it completes the move. There isn't an asset for the Kingsward in our faction turn that represents this secondary agent. So I don't know that that necessarily comes into play here. 
but I think we can maybe go ahead and use the Petty Seers, a cadre of skilled fortune tellers and minor oracles have been enlisted by their faction to foresee perils and allow swift counterattacks. Maybe we can use these Petty Seers to sort out the identity of this cultist who still remains within the King's Word organization. So none of our characters here have a specific attack except for the occult infiltrators. So they can't really attack the King's Word. So maybe what they need to do is they need to drum up some information. So before I get ahead of myself on picking what action the Shade are going to do, I should make sure that I give them some treasure. And I went through and I already factored in what the treasure gain would be each faction turn, just so I don't have to keep trying to do the math every time we do this. So the Shade will gain three treasure this turn, which will take them up to 13. And then thinking about what they want to accomplish, they want to discover something about this individual who is within the King's Word. And then they're going to be, need to be able to attack or deal with them. And I think looking at my choice of assets, I think I'm going to do something that maybe is a little weird considering I have the crest as a faction in and of itself, but I'm going to create an asset and I'm going to hire a free company. And that is a wealth asset that you can purchase. And I think what that represents is while Ben and Arid and the others are off in Davinar, there are still crests in Heartvale, and some of them are working for the crest's goals, but some of them have been tasked by Captain Netheridge to help Lady Von Triken and the Shade root out this last group of cultists, or maybe even just individual cultists. We know about one, this lieutenant to Efren Felhart. But maybe they have a cell of other cultists that are still within the Kingsward. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend eight treasure. And we are going to create the free company asset for the shade. And what that's going to do is that's going to allow them to hunt this individual. Now I'm going to go ahead and ask the fate chart if the Petty Seers have any idea who this individual within the King's Word might be, and that would give the free company a, something to actually go for. And because this is the first time we're asking this, and they are just Petty Seers, I'm going to say that it is pretty much impossible that they're going to detect who this person is. So uh, I'm going to say that the chaos rank is six. I'm going to keep it the same as what our current chaos rank is as we're going through uh, our scenes. So I'm just going to say it's six and roll, say it's impossible. 68 is a no. So 
they are not aware of who this individual or these individuals are, but they now have this group of crests who are dedicated to trying to assist them. Now, if we look at the free company, we can see that they, for one thing, require a one treasure upkeep. So that's going to be important to note. We haven't had anything that's had an upkeep cost yet, but at the start of every faction turn going forward, the shade are going to have to pay one coin to the free company in order to keep them around. And if they refuse to do that, then there's a mechanic for rolling a d6 and you can lose the asset or it might go rogue and attack someone who is profitable. It also has the ability to, as a free action, once per turn, move itself. Which is kind of funny that I didn't realize that that was an ability that this asset had when I made that decision to go ahead and give each faction the ability to move one asset for free. And uh, part of the impetus behind me coming up with that idea was just thinking about the Crest as a mercenary company should be pretty mobile and able to move around pretty quickly. So I'm going to go ahead and take advantage of that free move and have them move into the north scales so that they can be in line to attack the king's word if we discover at some point in the future who this individual is or these individuals are inside of the king's word but for now that's the end of the shade turn because we have spent our money we created an asset and have taken our turn so as we move over to the DeSoto, their faction goal is to eliminate the Kingsword Manufactory. They've got two more turns going for that goal. And so we're going to go ahead and unleash an attack action on the Kingsword. But first, let's go ahead and gain five treasure. That takes them up to 30 treasure, which is a lot of treasure. Should probably start buying some assets for them. But at the moment, I think their goal is to wipe out this manufactory. So we're going to focus on that. And that is going to be with the DeSoto armed guards. They are going to attack and... That is going to be a wealth versus force attack. So our wealth of six for the council of 12. I'm going to roll my d10. Got an eight. So that's going to be 14 versus the king's word force, which is two. Roll my d10. That's a five. No chance whatsoever. So the Council of Twelve are successful, Lord DeSoto's armed guards are successfully able to strike at the Manufactory. Let's see how many hit points that Manufactory has. It only has two hit points left, so I just need to roll a two on the die, and I roll the three. So the Manufactory is destroyed. Last time we saw these armed guards enter the Kingsword headquarters, and create chaos. They tossed some of their like papers on the ground. They threatened some of the workers who were creating these pieces of fiction. And I think this time these armed guards come in again. They do basically the same thing. And this time Mortar 
is there and he stands up to them and I think gets into an argument with the captain of the armed guards and it escalates a little bit. Weapons are drawn and blood is shed. Mortar survives, but he takes a wound and he is injured by these armed guards. A few of the armed guards are bloodied as well. There are a couple of the, the playwrights and the creatives who are who are injured as well. And as a parting shot, the armed guard captain tells Mortar that if the work in this place continues, he'll come back with more and they won't leave anyone alive. And I think Mortar gets the message and at least for the moment is going to close the manufactory down, which is a huge blow to the Kingsword because that's basically a way for them to gain free money. But that successfully completes the faction goal for Lord DeSoto. That faction goal to eliminate the Kingsword manufactory is going to grant them one experience. So go ahead and mark down that Lord DeSoto has one experience that he can spend on leveling up one of his attributes. And then we've got to select a new faction goal. Again, I think Lord DeSoto isn't necessarily after the King's Word as a whole. And so I think his decision to pursue them is satisfied. Much like his feud with the crest, it was satisfied once the sort of terms of that situation had changed. So I think now we have to decide what is Lord DeSoto's goal? What is his driving purpose? Is he looking to take hit point damage from enemy factions? Is he looking to destroy an enemy faction? Is he looking to eliminate another target? Does he want to expand his influence? The peaceable kingdom don't take an attack action for four turns. Root out the enemy. Destroy a base of influence of a rival faction. Sphere dominance. Choose wealth, force, or cunning. Destroy a number of rival assets of that kind equal to your score or wealth of kingdoms. Spend treasure equal to four times your faction's wealth rating on bribes and influence. This money is effectively lost, but the goal is then considered accomplished. I mean, he's got enough treasure. He could do that pretty easily. And that would get some easy experience. I'm going to pass on this for the moment because he's already taken his action for this faction turn. So I'm going to I'm gonna leave it blank for the moment because I want to think about what his next goal might be. Uh, so I'm going to leave the, the council there. I think maybe we get this final scene of the captain returning back to the Duxit and going to Lord DeSoto's office and the sickly old man who is Lord DeSoto is sitting behind his desk and when the captain walks in, Lord DeSoto looks up at him and says, Have they stopped printing their inflammatory words? The guard captain says, Yes, my lord, they have. They've been warned against doing anything else as well. If they decide to forego that warning, I'll make sure they pay for it. Very good. Thank you, Captain.
And then we can go ahead and shift over to the Drift. Now, their faction goal is to eliminate Lord DeSoto's hired friends. And I think this is the second or third turn of this. So I'm going to say it's the last turn that they have to do this. Because I feel like this has been... I didn't mark down a time for it. And I feel like it's been going for a little while now. So they are going to hunt down Lord DeSoto's hired friends once again. The hired friends are in the South Scales. The Drift Infantry is in the South Scales as well. So there's going to be another attack action. Force versus force. So the Drift have a force of four. I should go ahead and give the Drift their four treasure as we start this turn. And then uh, I am going to take the attack action to go ahead and roll our d10 for the infantry. So plus four on this, that's a seven. Three on the dice, plus four. And then that is against the force of five for Lord DeSoto. So I need to roll like a one. A seven for Lord DeSoto, that is a tie. So since ties go to the defender, Lord DeSoto's hired friends resist the infantry once again. They don't have any counterattack damage, so they're not going to be able to strike back at the Drift infantry. But the Drift are going to fail that mission because the hired friends have survived long enough. So we are going to go ahead and cancel that faction goal out and they will need to pick a new one. Once again, I'm just going to press on and I will think about what their next goal will be for the next turn. So they've gained a little bit of treasure. They tried to destroy the hired friends of Lord DeSoto. Now, after last time and the drift sailors like roaming the streets hunting these hired friends i think the hired friends have sort of gotten a little savvy to this and so they are trying to stay out of the way of these drift infantry and maybe they finally after a week of kind of like dodging them they're at an event. Maybe they're out at a bar or um, a tavern, or maybe they're at a play, and these drift infantry show up and they are looking for them. And maybe the establishment that they're at, the owners are friends of these hired friends. And so they realize that they're in danger and shuffle them out a side exit and onto the street and they're able to escape before these infantry are able to track them down. I'm going to take my sort of one free action to go ahead and let that military transport that the Crestoran continue to move towards Davinar so we can maintain the fiction of the crest and the shade on the Andanya moving towards Davinar. And then that's going to do it for the drift. So we're really like moving through this faction turn pretty quickly here. Uh, and that's all right, because I think we're starting to get to a place where the sort of long-term faction goals of these factions 
are probably going to reach beyond the scope of this season, as the season is really focused on the cult of Vargosh, and we're starting to reach a point where there's not much left to do but to find the Vidala family in Davinar and put an end to them. But we are going to spend a little bit of time with the Kingsward. Now, they're going to gain five treasure. That'll take them up to 17. They have lost their manufactory, which is not great. Their faction goal is to expand their influence. So they want to expand influence. They're trying to buy a seat on the council. And so they've moved their pleaders into the Duxet. And that is going to be their action for this turn which is expand influence. The faction must have at least one asset there to make this attempt and must spend one treasure for each hit point the new base of influence is to have. Thus, to create a new base of influence with a maximum hit point of 10, 10 treasure must be spent. I think they're willing to spend here. So I am going to spend 10 treasure and that's gonna leave me with seven treasure. Now, once the base of influence is created, the owner makes a cunning versus cunning attribute a check against every other faction that has at least one asset in the same location. If the other faction wins the check, they are allowed to make an immediate attack against the new base of influence with whatever assets they have present in the location. The creating faction may attempt to block this action by defending with other assets present. Okay, so we're going to roll a d10. This is a cunning of five for the King's Word versus a cunning of three for Lord DeSoto because Lord DeSoto is the only one who has any assets in that space. So I'm going to roll the King's Word first plus five on this. I rolled a seven, so that is going to be 12 total. Need to roll a nine or a 10 for Lord DeSoto to even get close here. Nope, that's a one. So they are successfully able to establish this base of influence. So we'll call this the uh, council seat in the Duxet. And now the uh, thing that I had hoped to do has come to fruition. So we're going to take a moment to establish another counselor here. And this is going to be a counselor who is on the payroll of the Kingswarden. So let's go ahead and go over to one of our random tables here. Check out the great book of random tables and let's find some names. So is this person going to be uh, male or female? Let's roll one, two, three will be male. Four, five, six will be female. Six. So this is a female name. Go ahead and roll our D100. So we've got a few options here. So 37, Claiborne, Leoma, or Hazel. I'm going to go with Leoma. And then I'm going to go over to Maze Rats. Let's go for the upper class surname. One and five, Drip. Perfect. So this is Leoma Drip. Let's find out some information about Leoma. What is her appearance like? Six and three weathered or three and six handsome. So three and six handsome. So she's beautiful. Physical details. Five and six ritual scars. 
or six and five tattoos. Ooh, okay, cool. So she's beautiful. She has a number of tattoos on her. What kind of clothing does she wear? Two and five, exotic. So she wears exotic clothing. Okay, what's her personality like? Five and six, serene. So she'd be the last one you'd suspect of being in the pocket of the Kingsward. And uh, let's see, mannerisms, laughs. She laughs a lot. All right, let's see what her secret is. And cultist is on this list, so it would be ironic if we rolled a cultist. One in six, counter spy. So wait a minute. If it's counter spy, does that mean that she is a counter spy against the Kingsward? Or does that sort of like fit with her being bought by the Kingsward? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that. I, I like that one. So counter spy, and I'm gonna leave it vague right now whether or not she's actively working with the King's Word, as in like she took their money, but she took it because she is working against them and she's actually like using them. So yeah, I'm just going to leave that vague for the moment. Let's see what her reputation might be. Two and six, holy. So she has a reputation for being holy. So maybe her tattoos are related to whichever deity she worships. And then let's see what her hobbies are. Six and two, sketching. She likes to draw. Okay, so we've got Leoma de Rip. She's beautiful with ornate tattoos. She wears exotic clothing. She has a serene personality, laughs a lot. She's secretly a counter spy, and that might just mean that she works for the King's Word. The more I think about it, that is where I'm leaning towards. She has a holy reputation, and her pastime is sketching. We see this scene of this estate in the Howl, and an officer of the Kingsward arrives there and is ushered into a room. This room is a finely upholstered sitting room. And there are a number of drawings hung from the walls. And they are of various creatures, of various symbols and signs. And and they all relate to religion. There's a, a woman sitting by the window. And she is sketching on a large piece of paper. She's looking out the window, and this Kingsword officer who enters this room, who's ushered into this room, sees that she's tall with olive skin and curly dark hair that falls down to her waist. She's wearing an elegant dress that leaves her arms bare, and these intricately designed tattoos are evident running up her arms and underneath her clothing. Her clothing is not 
standard heart veil fashion. It looks Kometian from the south. And she looks over and I think smiles at this Kingsword officer. We should give a name to this Kingsword. One and two, Basil. So she turns and she says, Ah, Basil, it's so good to see you tonight. I hadn't realized I would be expecting company. Basil looks at her and says, My lady, I come to you with a proposition from my organization. The Royal Dispatch Company would like to fund your art habits. As you know, we are great lovers of the arts, and we would like to offer you an endowment to continue your work, and perhaps occasionally think of us when you are creating your great canvas across the city. Lady Derip looks at him, and there is a fierce intelligence behind her eyes as she nods and says... I am a great lover of the art, as you are, Basil, and it will be my honor to accept the Royal Dispatch Company's generosity. And of course, friends of mine always enjoy the benefits of my arts. And then I think we pull out from that scene, and we can go ahead and end the Kingsword faction turn there, as they have created a new base of influence. Now, Lady Derip is not a new member of the council. She has been a part of the council for a while, but I think she is newly in the pocket of the Royal Dispatch Company. And that might come up again as the Shade and Lady Von Triken are trying to suss out who in the Kingsward could still be a cultist of Vargosh. So as we move on, we've got the Crest and we've got the Vidala family. Both of these, I think, are going to go pretty quickly. And because the Crest and the Verdala are hurtling towards conflict, I don't think it matters which of them goes on this turn because I know exactly what both of them are going to do for this faction turn. So I'm going to go with the Verdala first. They have four treasure currently. I'm going to give them three treasure. That's going to take them up to seven. And then they are going to buy an asset. That asset is going to be an arcane laboratory. They have seven treasure. They have to spend six to do it, but they are going to do so. That is going to give them an arcane laboratory. And on their next turn, they should be able to purchase some seers and then hopefully for them be able to determine the location of Vargosh's resting place. So they gained their treasure, they spent their treasure, and that is really it. I think this arcane laboratory is an extension of the scene that we saw last time, of them in the bowels of this temple surrounding this basin where they're chanting. And I think now there are drawings on the ground. There are grooves etched into the stone and blood is running through those grooves and there is this faint thrumming sound that is coming from this place here as they are turning the basement of this temple 
into an arcane focal site where they can enact powerful rituals which will help them discover the location of their god's resting place. For the crest, they're also going to gain three treasure. That's going to take them up to six treasure. And then their goal is to increase the crest's numbers. And so I think because they have their crack team on the way towards Davinar, and they have some of their number who have been hired out to the Shade and are sort of working with them specifically, Captain Netheridge turns his attention to furthering his recruitment. Now, let's take a look at the Force assets, see what we can afford here. So we could hire some more infantry. We've got just enough for that. We could hire some Witch Hunters, which might be interesting because that might represent individuals who are focused on hunting mages and stuff like that could also hire a military transport or reserve corps i think reserve corps could be interesting or scouts i think my gut instinct is leaning towards witch hunters or scouts and if we look at scouts they're long-range scouts or reconnaissance experts worked for the faction able to venture deep into hostile territory or if we look at the witch hunters, certain personnel are trained in sniffing out traitors and spies in the organization, along with the presence of hostile magic or hidden spellcraft. These would be individuals that Lafalia was training before she left to hunt mages, and maybe she left someone behind in her place to continue this training. I feel like scouts is interesting, but witch hunters seems a lot more fun. So I'm going to go ahead and spend all six of my treasure to hire some witch hunters as the uh, additional force asset for the crest. And with that, as I always do, I think I have to ask the fate chart if they have hired enough to satisfy the requirements of this goal. Have they brought in enough people to increase the crest numbers back to a place that they're happy with. I think it is unlikely. I may even go so far as to say very unlikely. Let's find out. Last the fate chart. It's going to be a chaos rank of six. 54 is a no. No, it is not enough. Captain Netheridge wishes to continue boosting the numbers of the crest, which makes sense because... I think they took a number of casualties in Larsha before they came to Heartvale. And while they've been recruiting people, they haven't quite filled out their numbers yet. But I think we can take a moment and let's go ahead and roll up another name. And once again, I'm going to roll one, two, three will be male, four, five, six will be female. This is a five, so another female name. 97. Mary, Tinbull, or Laurie? Let's go with Laurie. And should we give Laurie a surname? Why not? Five and three. Sallow. Laurie Sallow. Laurie is this woman from... Where would she be from? Let's say she's from Resden, much like the captain is. 
So she has this darker sort of ruddy skin and black hair that is cut short. And she is uh, sort of like 5'3", five, 5'4". Five, She's very stacked. And uh, I think she has the talent. She's not as strong a mage as Arid or Lefalia. But she has enough of the talent that she can sense and detect mages and she can counteract some of their power. And so Lafalia was training her and a number of others to be these witch hunters, these anti-mages, to hunt and destroy mages. When Lafalia left Heartvale on this mission, she left Lari with enough information to continue the training. And by default, Lari has become essentially the corporal of these witch hunters. And I think we see this quick scene of Captain Netheridge calling her into his office. And Lari enters, and I think she is... Again, she's not very tall and she's built, but she has this way of like hunching her shoulders to make herself seem smaller than she is. And she enters the room sort of like slouched forward a little bit, leans up against the wall and says, you want to talk, Captain? Netheridge says, ah, Sallow, good. How's your training going along? It's going, Captain. We're doing all right. It'd be easier if the lieutenant were still around to train us, but we'll be ready when you need us. You'll be ready when I need you. What if I were to tell you I had a mission for you already? Laurie, I think, kicks the floor a little bit and says, Then I'll tell you we'd be ready, Captain. That's what I like to hear, Sallow. I do have a mission for you. Shouldn't be anything that your crew can't handle. But it'll give you a good chance to stretch your legs a little bit and see how your training is working out. Whatever it is, Captain, we'll get it done. I know you will. Let me give you the details. And then we pull out of that room. And now the Crest have a dedicated group of mage hunters. So that is going to end this faction turn. And I think as as we sort of like pull back out of Heartvale into this broad view of the city, we then sweep across the ocean past the small village of Velt where there's sickness and the smell of death on the air and past that over the sea where the Andania is about to meet up with an Altiman merchant vessel in the hopes that they will be able to provide the necessary supplies that will get the crest the rest of the way to Davinar. Thanks for listening to Errant Adventures, and thank you so much to Sirenscape for the lovely ambient sounds and music throughout the episode. 
If you enjoyed the show, please tell anyone and everyone in your life about it. And if you want to support the show directly, leave me a review or buy me a coffee at coffee.com slash errantadventures. That's ko-fi.com slash errantadventures. If you want to interact with me, my handle on Instagram and Twitter is at errantsolopod, or you can email me at errantsolopod at gmail.com. I also post short fiction and campaign-related materials on my website, errantadventurespod.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.